Welcome to Breakfast with Tiffany Show. My name is Tiffany Rosdell and I am a Tokyo-based transformational lifestyle coach. In each episode of this podcast, I want to explore the positive transitions other people have made to, how they freed themselves from their struggles, what pushed them to overcome their difficulties, and how and why they felt like they could overcome. Breakfast with Tiffany Show is really all about the transitions everyone who wants to succeed makes and what they did to get there. As such, while the focus is on LGBTQ plus journeys, I want to share the stories of all people who have found their way to success. My hope is to have this platform for all of us to be together while listening to successful stories, amazing life experiences, inspirational journeys, as well as having good laughs and lots of smiles. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce you to something quite extraordinary. It's the Breakfast with Tiffany Show podcast. And now, it is with great pleasure that I introduce you to your host, Tiffany Rossdale. Hello there, everyone. Welcome back to Breakfast with Tiffany Show if you are one of my avid listeners. I really appreciate you for being here. Of all the podcasts that is available out there, you chose to listen to my podcast. So I am really, really, really grateful for you and for your amazing support. If you happen to be one of my new listener, I would like to ask you a few seconds of your time to please press the follow button or the subscribe button to any podcast platform that you are listening right now. And don't forget to turn on that notification so then the next time I release a fresh episode, you'll be the first ones to be notified. You can also check all the information that we provide on our podcast show notes. And that includes writing a comment, writing a review, a rating, sending us an email, all our social media links, my social media links. And also, if you're generous enough to help the podcast, as we don't have sponsors here, we appreciate your contributions and help in supporting the podcast. We have the PayPal account as well as Buy Me a Tea, which I love drinking tea. So definitely check that out. All those links available on the podcast show notes. I also would like to add that if you are looking for someone that can motivate you and help you in your life to have a balanced lifestyle, to have a balanced wellness, I am a certified life coach based here in Tokyo and I am available to help you. Whatever um, struggles or anything that you are currently facing, let me know. I'll, I'm here to help. Feel free to reach out to me, my email, and all my other social media. You can DM me directly as well. So I look forward to hearing from you. And one last announcement before we head on to today's special guest. Our first special guest of this year. I would like to say that if you are living here in Japan, I am hosting finally 
again, a wellness retreat. The last time I hosted was last year of spring. I believe it was during springtime. Due to the unprecedented situation that we are still facing, I wasn't able to host a lot of retreats last year and really hoping that this year I can do it more so I can build a community of um, like-minded people sharing and connecting and most importantly, being healthy, not just your physical condition, but also your health set and your mindset and your heart set. So if you are in Japan and listening right now, I have a retreat um, called New Year, New Me, a, a fasting detox retreat that we are going to have on January 28th until the 30th, 28th, 29th, 30th. It's a weekend, getaway to go to Chiba, and we have this amazing newly opened hotel called the Fasting Hotel, and I was there. If you are following my podcast, I also made a topic about fasting, and we mentioned the hotel and during when I was having the um, fasting weekend. I was able to collaborate with them this time and hopefully I can do more. So um, your support in attending, being there will mean so much to me. So please let me know if you're interested. All the information we also provide on the podcast show notes. And if you check my social media, it's all in there. January 28th to 30th, uh, Zenscape Wellness Retreat, New Year, New Me, Fasting Detox. Let's all start our year in a very healthy way. We should always be equipped to be healthy, especially now that we are still in the midst of pandemic. If you have quite any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Our guest today has worked in television and film in the US and Japan for over five years. His projects include television, dramas, commercials, and feature films for NHK, Toho Cinemas, TBS, TV Tokyo, Fuji, Fuji TV, and many more. He also has a YouTube channel called Letters from Brendan, features comedy videos, including the original web series, Letters to My Future Son. Here in Japan, Brandon has trained with Quiet Flame Production in film action and stunts. And I am a part of the Quiet Flame Productions. And Brandon is my sensei for acting. So enjoy. And I hope you will get tips and um, knowledgeable information about acting and how to have confidence as Brandon really taught me a lot in acting class, and I've done it for two years. Enjoy the chat that I have with Brandon. Welcome to Breakfast with Tiffany show. So thrilled for our special guest today. You have heard his amazing voice on this podcast so many times. The man behind those deep, high-energy, spectacular voice who introduces me and end this podcast by saying... Welcome to the Breakfast with Tiffany show podcast. And now here's your host, <laughs> Tiffany Rossdale. <laughs> 
Brandon Stalling. Yes. Like, how does that start again? <laughs> Featuring it's special guest, me. <laughs> Brandon, welcome to this show. Finally, we were able to do this. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's nice to be here. I've I've heard so much uh, about it. I'm glad it's been going so well. Thank you. You know what? Like I actually had a few messages from people saying that you turn your podcast into more fancier now with that introduction and ending, which is your voice. <laughs> I do like to make things fancy. I believe so. Let's go dive in right away. Yes. I want to know what motivates you to wake up in the morning. Tea, mostly. Since we had a little bit of extra time before we started, I went and made myself uh, a homemade chai, uh, which I've been working on trying to figure out how to get the, the recipe just right. But I'm a, a huge fan of chai. But that's what literally gets me up in the morning is tea. Uh, anything related to performance. I kind of do a little bit of everything, as as you know. But those are my my driving motivations is just to be involved in performance art as much as possible, whether it's uh, film, TV, commercials, voiceovers, on stage, off stage, even if it means writing my own stuff that I can then record and or stage. But before we talk a lot about um, this, I want to know, I want to go back to to your childhood. I have known you for several years now, I believe, but I never really get to know you that deeply. So I want to take this opportunity to know more about you. So can you please share with me and the listeners about your background and where are you from? Going all the way back. Okay. Uh, well, I'm uh, American, mm -hmm. uh, originally from Oklahoma, born and raised. Uh, it sits on top of Texas. I lived most, pretty much my entire adolescent life in Oklahoma, uh, went to college uh, in Oklahoma. Um, and then I got a degree in uh, theater, uh, theater performance with a music minor. But then after, after I graduated, um, I moved to Chicago going to university, getting working like behind the camera film stuff. I did stand up comedy a little bit. I did uh, a lot of improv at all of the improv places. I did sketch comedy, mounted a couple shows, did some musicals, did some straight plays, uh, worked with like 15 different theater companies. Um, I did a lot of stage management and box office work as well. So I was like running light boards and sound boards for Piven Theater Workshop up in Evanston. A lot of fairly famous American actors went through there. Uh, 80s, 90s. I, I got a job offer to work in Japan. Because uh, for my 30th birthday, I gave myself a trip to Japan and just kind of went like on a whim with like four weeks notice. Like a random trip here? Yeah, in, in 2016, for my 30th birthday, I, I had been interested in Japan most of my life. Um, and I I just said like, mm -hmm. screw it. And I bought a plane ticket and went over here for two weeks uh, and just loved it and went all over up and down the country in Honshu. And uh, when I got back, I applied for a job. It took about a year to actually get over here, but uh, now I've been here for four and a half years 
and working in the industry as much as they will let me and trying to teach English as little as possible. Why do you, why did you think about Japan? Why Japan was on your list to go? At one point, both anime and me as a teenager existed at the same time. I think my earliest very Japanese memory was it was either second or third grade. One of my one of the teachers at my elementary school got a wild idea to do like an Asian culture day. We we had a day where we like did Japanesey stuff. And it was like a very <laughs> okay. nice white lady in Oklahoma doing her best to like come up with Japanese things like oh, we had some ramen noodles and we sat at a low table and she said, oh, it's polite to slurp your noodles. And then I think somebody might have worn a kimono or something that they called a kimono, but just was like a Japanese pattern on a shirt. I don't I don't remember exactly. It was not particularly cultural, but it was it was interesting. Brandon, what was your favorite anime? Probably Cowboy Bebop. There was a few that I was introduced first because my 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 brothers my older brother's friends were fairly into it and they had some like VHS tapes. Oh my gosh, yes, VHS tapes. The first couple I like I borrowed from my older brother's friends. I think one was like Record of Lodos War, Slayers, like fantasy magic silly adventure. Uh I think were the first two I ever watched, and then Someone got me on the Cowboy Bebop. And then I would go I would go to the Hollywood video like was across the street from my neighborhood. I'd ride my bike over there and I would go to the foreign section and they had like like 20 tapes of anime and I would just go <laughs> rent them and I watched all of them. Like that that kept me interested in like Japanese things, but it was also like uh the history as well, but like it was so exotic to me. It was like the most other thing I could mm. think of, like in the middle of America in the 90s as a teenager. Like that was the most differently placed like country in the world I could think of. So the idea of, you know, the the kimonos, the the tea ceremonies, the you know, the koto music, taiko drums, I was a percussionist, so I absolutely love taiko drums. All of those cultural elements I just thought were fascinating and then started learning about some of the history, um, especially once I got over here and I could actually like visit some of the history helps a lot. But it, it just always stuck in the back of my mind as like an incredibly interesting place. And I, I never thought I would ever end up here or even like come here until I just i was just like screw it i'm i'm gonna go and nobody can stop me and i i i cashed in like i had been working at a tv station in chicago and i had been there for a couple of years and i had like two thousand dollars that i'd put into a 401k it was like not a lot of money but i i just like cashed it in and spent i like blew the whole thing on a trip to japan <laughs> Because I was like, I don't need this. I can't <laughs> retire on $2,000 anyway. Might as well enjoy it. It was one of the most impulsive things I think I've mm -hmm. ever done. And it, I mean, it changed the trajectory of at least this chunk of my life. Uh, and then I met Tiffany and it was all worth it. Mm. <laughs> 
Wow, amazing journey. And I want to know when you arrived here in Japan, were your expectations met from based from what you have watched through the, you know, the anime, your imagination of what Japan is? What was it like when you came here? Well, I, I waited until globalism has firmly taken hold. So, and I, I came to Tokyo. Well, when I, on my first trip here, before I moved here, I, I started down in Kyoto. Um, but like, cause like in Tokyo, everybody speaks English or like, it's like 50% of people can carry on at least a rough conversation. So the, the culture shock element was not nearly as high as I was expecting. Cause it's just like, a city it's a modern city and there's like english on the signs and people will give you directions in english i'd done some rosetta stone at on my own uh so i kind of had like a like a very rudimentary basic understanding of the language but i didn't really speak japanese i understood a little tiny bit and i could like like if you if i looked up a phrase I could like pronounce it correctly and like kind of understand which words were which it wasn't as difficult. To, like I was expecting it to be like a really difficult transition to a completely different lifestyle. It was kind of just the same, just in Japanese. Um, but when you travel around outside of Tokyo uh, is when you get those more fun culture shocky moments where you get the smaller towns or the really, the you know, you go down to like Kamakura or you go down to Kyoto or, you know, those areas or Nikko. There's like really historic areas with there's temples everywhere. There's trees in Kamakura that are 700 years old that like there's a picture and a statue of the guy who planted it. Like, especially coming from America, that level of history does not exist. Like our country is not even 300 years old. And they have like they have like cookbooks from that are older than my country that are in like the national museum, <laughs> uh, at least as an American, like have that level of hi like history of cultural history is a little bit daunting. It's, it, it's an interesting bit of perspective uh, to be able to like have like that, that much has happened to this small Island with a fairly homogenous people over an extremely long period of time. The more the more you learn, I think the more interesting it gets because you start to see where the trends are, like you start to see like how they ended up where they went um and how they got to here and the the stumbling blocks along the way. I think there's a lot of nice lessons in Japanese history like for everybody or for other countries. It's really interesting that you said that American culture is very young and not that you know, really old, old, because I grew up in the Philippines. And when I was growing up, the media that was showing in the Philippines was all about American. I think that it's really powerful how the media, we were so uh, inspired by living like American people, uh, the Hollywood life, you know, like all this. So my dream was when I was young is to go to America because I want to be, I want to be in Hollywood. I want to be in New York. I want to be in all that, America. right? in Hollywood in America. <laughs> exactly. I didn't have that mindset of what's it like in Japan, which you are so right. I definitely agree that this country has so much um, culture. It's very rich in culture. And that's why I'm here. I love living in Japan because I believe there's so much to learn and there's so much to love about Japan. Yeah. And, and America, by contrast, is like, is very 
surface level culture. Like we do, and it's not even their fault. We we haven't had enough time to go through the the growing pains and the stages of what it what it really means to be a country. And we think we have, but we haven't. There's a lot of stages you have to go through to like kind of unify your your identity, your national identity. I think that's why Americans act out all the time. Like as a country, not even necessarily as individuals. We're not old enough to have the gravitas of perspective and like and and general respect. People do, individuals. I know mm-hmm. people that do, but like as a country, uh, I think it's going to be interesting in a couple hundred years what I won't see when America's been around for a thousand years to see like where we ended up and how much attitudes have shifted. Like you said, pop culture, like American pop culture is is not only pervasive, but invasive, like it gets in everywhere. Right, exactly. Wow. Um, I'm so I'm so surprised from you, Brendan. I didn't know that you're you, you love culture. That's really, <laughs> that's really fascinating to know. Well, thank you for all your um, for all that knowledge that you just shared. But let's go and talk about your career. Oh yeah, nice, nice segue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I really want to talk to you about your career. And you mentioned earlier that you have. I I know that you have plenty of skills, but I really want to talk particularly about voice as as you as a voice actor. Mm-hmm. How long have you been, have you been a voice actor? Uh, I think it's been a little over six years. I put together a demo in like 2011, 2012. I took some voiceover classes in Chicago because I had been interested in voiceover for a while, made a demo and started trying to get picked up by an agency and then finally did get picked up. I was trying to get more experience. So uh, I signed up on ACX, which is the the website that they use to record a lot of audible audiobooks because there's like infinity plus 10 audiobooks on audible so i i went into my friends not even my own closet my friends closet and they let me because they had a walk-in closet they let me set up my microphone in there and over the span of a couple of years i i recorded like uh, like 25 or 30 random audiobooks for Audible. But they, it was not a lot of money, but it was really good practice. Uh, especially because you have to mm. uh, you have to audition for them. And then if you get picked, you have to do all the recording and all the editing and all the submitting yourself. And then you sort of split mm. less than half of the profits with the like the publisher of the book. So like Amazon takes 60% and then you and the book creator take they split the other 40 uh for every every book sold unless you're doing like romance novel stuff like the really really dirty Mm. stuff and then i think those get a little more hits did you had a training before you became a voice actor or the the general training i had from my undergraduate in theater so we did a lot of we there was a ton of Mm. physical uh vocal work that you just do as a theater actor um and then i went to this company called Bosco Productions. Uh, it was run by a couple who were both professional voiceover actors and they did classes and I did some classes there and they helped me. They gave me copy and a lot of training, which was like 
you know, in the booth on the microphone training, which is great because then it's practical and not academic. They gave me like a whole bunch of copy uh, to put together a demo. And then when I moved to Japan, I signed up with all the agencies here because there are 20 of them and they're all non-exclusive. Um, and I've been fairly lucky in getting voiceover work here. There's there's so much like English language stuff in Tokyo, fortunately, very fortunately. Uh, there's a lot of like I- interview overdubbings. There's a lot of like a lot of, hey, we need this in multiple languages. And English is one of them, especially like NHK World does a, a ton of voiceover stuff which I've done a bit of it's like voiceover is one of the hardest industries to break into at a, at a high level because the people that can do it and can do it well, do it forever, especially like in, in animation or like out in LA that do voiceovers. There's like 20 people who do all the voiceovers Mm. for everything. Like there's, there's a lot of voiceover artists that I have that are like personal heroes of mine. Veronica Taylor who was the voice, the English voice of Ash Ketchum on Pokemon, the original series, mm-hmm. was was like signing autographs. And I went up there and I was like, hey, I'm also trying to, you know, work as a voice actor. And she was so nice. And she talked to me for like 10 minutes. She was like, oh, yeah, you know, it doesn't pay very well. She was like, even when I was doing Pokemon, like in the 90s, she's like, I still had to have like four or five other jobs because it was, you know, it was only like, like a thousand bucks or a couple thousand bucks an episode. She was like hustling while she was like the main character of one of the most popular TV shows for children that entire decade. Um, And she gave me, she signed it for me. She gave me this little card that she had and she signed it. And it's like her as a Pokemon card holding up a microphone with a backwards Ash hat on. It's like one of the playing cards. It says like her move is positive energy 100 uh, and it says, your voice is powerful. Use it wisely. Wow. So that motivated you to continue doing voice acting. It did. It was like, a, a, I was feeling fairly defeated at the time because I was just trying to start out and I had no idea what I was doing. And she was just so incredibly nice and like gave me advice. She didn't have to do that. She like signed me a thing. She didn't have to do that. Um, but I was just so grateful that that she was so nice and and helpful and talked to me. What they usually tell you is it's incredibly hard to get in. If you can get in, you can do it for your whole, like until the day you die. And usually the other thing they'll tell you is like anyone can do it. But if you put in the time, you could, you, anybody can be a performer. It's just, and everybody's different. So your, your unique performance is always going to be its Mm. own commodity. If you can find a place to sell it. There's a lot of voice actors that I really admire. Most of them are the cast of Futurama, the people who've been doing it. Like every, people who did like every single '90s cartoon I grew up on, your uh, your Billy Wests, your Maurice Lamarches, your uh, Tress McNeils, uh, more recently your John DiMaggio's. He's great, and they're they're always like I've seen some of them do panels at conventions, and they're always like the nicest people because they're not they're not face celebrities, so like they don't. They they have the luxury to be nice because people don't recognize their faces. So they don't have to deal with like paparazzi. They don't have to deal with being like really visible in the pop culture sphere. Like you have to really know what these people look like to spot them in a crowd. And a lot of them are fairly recognizable 
But if you've never Googled a picture of, of Billy West, you have no idea what Billy West looks like. Like I, I have a fairly announcery kind of voice. So I end up getting a, a decent amount of work doing that kind of thing. But I would really love to get into animation and characters and cartoons and video games and animes and all that cool stuff. Because it's just more fun. Mm. It's nice work if you can get it. Right. But um, Brandon, I want to ask you, though, what was the most interesting voice recording you have ever done? Oh, the most interesting one I've ever done was probably not even something I got paid for. Because I went mm. I went on to, I think it was probably an audition I did. Over the span of like six or seven months, I did 200 auditions. And I didn't book a single job. Wow, that's a lot. 200 auditions. Good, good practice. But yeah, because I, I was just doing like two or three a day. They popped up all the time for anything and everything you can think of. But there was a couple auditions that I was like, this is, this is mint. This is a, some of my best work. And I didn't get hired. I think some of it's because the people are like, I'm, I'm in Japan and the people like wanting to record stuff are like in the US. So they probably don't want to deal with the time zone. That's my theory. Um, there was there was like one audition that I I remember it was like for a puzzle video game and I was playing like a mad scientist who was like giving out clues and I was convinced that I like friggin nailed it I was like this is awesome mm-hmm. I was having a lot of fun like doing takes of it and like putting in maniacal laughter uh and I I did not get that job I did not book it, which made me very sad. And there's been a couple jobs like that mm. where it's it's something crazy. Where it's like, all right, you're 75 years old from East Germany. You're schizophrenic and you're talking about uh, making a pizza. Like, it's just the crazy stuff. That's my favorite stuff. Can you also do like some accents? <laughs> my, my British accent is not terrible. I... I practice it fairly often because it's just more fun to to speak that way it's it's more of an it's sort of non-regional rp <laughs> uh, bbc quality <laughs> it takes a second to sort of get into it <laughs> i played in chicago mm. uh sherlock holmes about 10 years ago mm-hmm. for a, a production of hound of the baskervilles which was quite quite fun good fun it was great crack we, I actually had a dialects class in in my undergraduate. So we we did like English, we did Irish, we did like Russian. I did do it like a monologue for a for a grade like in Russian, where it was like some somebody had been like assassinated, like in the Russian mafia, and they were like by their gardener. And it was like, how was I supposed to know that the men tending the nasturtiums would keep me from seeing what the weather will be like tomorrow? <laughs> uh that kind of thing i love it <laughs> you know that vaguely eastern european sort of uh ruski kind of like russian chechen ukrainian accent is is really fun because it goes all over the place it's it's very short and very long at the same time <laughs> <laughs> they're just more fun I, I've, I've watched your comedy shows before. Do you also use that, uh, use different accents when you do like comedy shows? I should use them more. You should. It's so funny. Or just because they're more fun for me. <laughs> and it's so funny. I have to find more excuses to write in random 
uh, voice work because then it, it's just more fun for me anyway. I actually just did one right before I left for Christmas. I did my third uh, planetarium show for Konica Minolta Planetarium. And those are super fun because mm. they're, they're very atmospheric and they're quiet and they usually play music. And you're kind of, you just get really close to the microphone and you just talk about all the stars in the sky, <laughs> talking about random constellations, talking about the the Southern Cross and the star signs and the, the this is Cygnus and this is Cassiopeia or Cassiopeia. And you just get really close and you just talk like this. Because everyone's going to be sitting in a very dark room <laughs> and leaning back in a chair, staring at a very large domed ceiling. Those are really fun. Um, I would I would love to do one of those a month if they would let me, but they don't always let me. Yeah, I would probably laugh if I hear your voice in a planetarium, though. <laughs> at Night Waiting for a Shooting Star is the English title. Mm -hmm. I think it's coming out in a couple months in Ikebukuro at the at the planetarium oh, in Sunshine yeah, City. Sunshine, um, Sunshine 60, yeah. Yeah, so if you go get the if you ask for the English language uh ear earphones uh headset uh you'll you be can, the one. You can listen to me <laughs> talking talking over the Japanese actor on screen. <laughs> That'll be so much fun to hear. <laughs> I'm I'm the English version of Tatsuomi in At Night Waiting for a Shooting Star. Coming soon to a Konika Minolta planetarium near you if you live in Tokyo. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like looking at all the stuff I've done in Japan. It's all sort of like straightforward stuff. Some like mm. random commercials like NHK overdubbing. Mm -hmm. I did a, a, a tourism video for Shizuoka, which was fun. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, it's on my website as well because I, I linked it to my website. So there's, there's two. Uh, there's one for Seiko and one for... Uh, Shizuoka tourism that are on my website. If you're really, really curious, I will I will link your website on the podcast show notes. One thing I want to talk about is about your being an actor here in Japan. What was this struggle that you have? You also teach um, English still, right? On occasion, yeah, little bits and pieces. It, it helps when I renew my visa to have a contract with a company. Mm -mm. That's why they let me stay here. It's because I work for an a kaiwa heavy finger quotes even the work i do for them now is mostly teaching acting and directing over at icla is most of the work i do for them um i mean i think the the obvious biggest hurdle is language my japanese is not quite conversational like i can understand your point and i can get my point across with a, a certain sprinkling of detail it's not as good as it should be after four years. I mean, like personally, just having to deal with on set Japanese is difficult because it's much more casual. It's not your standard Kago interaction. It's very fast and it's very casual and very abrupt. It's difficult to know if to make sure that you're being as professional as you can be, like hitting your marks and, and making sure you're taking notes if it's if people are like yelling very fast Japanese at you and your understanding is kind of medium, but even like not on a, on a professional level and not a personal level, they're much, much more likely to cast you. If you are like peta peta Japanese, if anytime they're working with foreigners, 
they're like preparing for a certain level of headache and incompetence. Like foreigner actors in Tokyo are kind of just like whoever's around Mm. Uh, because the agencies do not vet people at all. Mm. More than half of the people that work as actors, foreigner actors in Tokyo have zero performance training of any kind. Mm. I mean, even like 20, 30 years ago, it was just like, who's here teaching English? Do you want to make some extra money? Like that's the level that it's still kind of at. So it's a little frustrating for me because like I have a crap ton of training and a degree. Mm. I I constantly get passed over in auditions for people who like look more foreign than I do, but like don't speak any Japanese and have zero performance training because they're like, oh, well, he's blonde. You know, there's certain types of rejection you're prepared for, but that's usually not one of them where you're like, Oh, we just got this guy who wandered in off the street and we'd like him better than you. You're like, oh, that kind of hurts my feelings. Mm. The the better your Japanese is, the, the better your odds of having success mm. in the industry here. And our mutual friend, uh, Mr. Chuck Johnson, uh, mm. has been working here in the industry a lot longer than I have. If you want to hear about the Japanese entertainment industry, you bring him on the podcast. He will give you all the ins and outs. For like stunts and stuff and like Saigen recreations because all Saigens take place outside of Japan. Mm. Um, but on the bright side, like literally anybody can show up that's a foreigner in Japan, sign up with any agency and start working tomorrow. Mm. But then because we all do that, they we all get a bad reputation because then there's a lot of people who have no idea what they're doing and are incredibly unprofessional that pervade the actor in quotes community the foreigner talent community. So you kind of always get treated like a child. Mm. They're always assume that you're going to like have a fit or get drunk or storm offset or fall down, like break something like you just, they treat you with kid gloves like the whole time, Mm. which is more like annoying and frustrating than, than a huge problem. But it, it kind of prevents them from feeling like they can use us for more important stuff. I Mm. think. That's mm. what it feels like. Yeah, very fascinating. You shared all that stories. I actually had um, Chuck on the podcast before. We never talk about the industry here. We, we talk about Taekwondo and the action stunts that he he did. But like, yeah, I, sh- I should definitely have him next time and talk about the industry because I think absolutely it's really important to know all that. So thank you for sharing that, Brendan. I wonder who's your mentor though. Do you have a mentor? Not not as much of one as I would like. I mean, for certain things, uh, Chuck is definitely like my my sort of Japan performer, martial arts stunt mentor. Absolutely. Half of the stuff that I know about about my career here came straight from Chuck. And he he got me my first job, which was actually like one of my biggest jobs, like my first job in Japan was for a feature film, like a Japanese action movie, where I played a Russian mafia guy uh, in the movie, the 2019 not-quite-hit medium-reviewed action film, The Fable, uh, which they just put on Netflix. So if you have Netflix in Japan, um, and I got that through Quiet Flame, Hmm. Chuck's production company, which was like one of the coolest jobs and my first on-camera job in Japan. And it was like fascinating. 
the the action sequences are incredibly well done. Uh, it's probably the best element of the film. Mm. And I got to be one of the stunt performers. Amazing. I think I'll check it out. Um, I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, you mentioned earlier, Brandon, that here in Japan, in the um, entertainment industry, there's so much rejection. I wonder how do you deal with your rejections? You just kind of have to learn not to take it personally. And I've I've done some work on the other side of the table. I produced, I like wrote and put up a play uh, in Chicago and had to like cast it and and do some like a lot of production elements for it and i worked as a stage manager a ton in chicago like so i've i've been on like both sides of the equation which really helps because it helps you see all of the reasons that you might not get Mm. picked for something that nothing to do with you Mm. because there are like infinite number of reasons that you could not get the job and like maybe four of them are your fault. Like even in theater, like if you give an incredible audition and don't get cast, which this is going to sound arrogant. I think I've done a couple times where I was like, that was, that was a kick-ass audition. Didn't get the job, but even it's like, Oh, well, you know, nothing against your performance, but it's like we had to cast, you know, the person that would play opposite you like has to look older, has to look younger, has to be shorter, has to be taller. Or, you know, like they, they have to make a whole like 100 different things all work together and you might just not be that piece. Someone else gave a, a a perfectly evenly similarly great audition and they just look slightly more like what they're looking for. Mm. Like I've been involved in productions where we didn't pick people who we really liked, who like mm. I saw people audition that I was like, that was a great audition. I can't use them for X, Y and Z reason. Um, and the, if the, the productions that are really nice are the ones that will email you back to let you know that you didn't get a job and uh, let you know that they actually did really like what mm. you brought to the table. They just couldn't use it this time, mm. which is, is is heartening after a while to just to know that going in like you're all you're hoping because you're not right for every part. You're right for at best. You're right for like. Five percent, mm-hmm. like five percent of jobs, at least on camera jobs for voiceover, you can get away with a lot more. But like on camera stuff or on stage stuff, you know, you're right for five to ten percent of all work at best. So you're really you're just throwing darts at the wall and you're hoping that that production at that moment with those people, you are the piece that they're looking for. As long as you go in there and give it your best shot every time. When it is right, you'll get the job and you'll get paid. You'll make the progress. You'll get your resume credit. You'll get to do the work. And then you just build on it from there. So you just you just have to know going in, it's probably not going to work out. And so anytime it does, this is, this is why I say I am an optimistic pessimist. Is like I, I prefer to be pessimistic about it because if I and if I don't get it, I'm right. And I go, all right, well, I was being realistic. That's fine. My feelings are not hurt. (laughs) But then if I do get a job, then it's like mind blowing. It's like, yes. (laughs) So that's how I, I protect myself. Because if you, if you believe you're going to get every job, 
you'll last about five minutes because mm. you just won't. Nobody, mm. nobody, not not even like, you know, the people at the pinnacle of like TV and film do not get every job that they submit for. Mm. So like if you're if you're at the lower levels like I am, like you you just have to like you're I feel lucky to get every single job. Mm. And when I get a few back to back, uh then it's like Christmas every time. <laughs> so you just have to really really detach your ego from the auditioning process and the submission process and know that it's like it's just a business. It's just like applying for jobs. Mm. But it's like if you apply for 20 jobs and you get two or three interviews, like it's it's exactly the same thing. It's just a little more personal because it's like art and performance. Mm. The pitfall is to get really, really attached to one audition, like the big audition. You just always know that if you do a good job, they will remember you. And then the next mm. time you audition for those people, they will be on your side and they will be looking for a reason to put you in their production. Mm, I love that. Mm. I've, I've heard this expression a lot lately, but so it's a little cliche, but I think it's really true is that it is absolutely, it is a marathon, not a race, mm. you know, or a sprint. I'm, mm. oh, I messed it up. Second take. All right. One <laughs> okay. more time. Take it back. <laughs> it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. There. Use mm. the second one. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So you you essentially have to wear down the industry that you're in. You have to mm. be there and submit and and be a presence long enough that you wear them down not using you. Mm. Uh, mm. And if you have success right out of the gate, then you are one of the the lucky few. And and God bless you and and keep going. Mm. Wow. Very powerful advices and words you gave there, uh, Brandon. I really loved it. It's not just um, auditions or jobs. I think when it, when it comes to rejection, I think from what I've learned in my own life, rejection is actually good because you become better. Thank you for saying that and, and for that amazing advice about rejections. Because most of the time, like it's not even really rejection. You just didn't get the thing. Mm. Because they can really oh. like you and not give you the job, which I think counts as rejection, but it's like, it's not really rejection. Mm. It's more of like a temporary dismissal. Mm, I love that. I, I love that word. Yeah. Temporary dismissal. Every, every audition is for, not for this job, but it's, you know, it, you're lucky if you get the one you're auditioning for, but especially if you're like in LA or somewhere, it's like this audition is for 10 jobs down the line. You're just planting the seed now. And hopefully you can harvest that down mm. the line when you when you, the when the timing is perfect. Mm. So true. Yes. Hopefully that helps. If anybody needs this advice. Yes. Yes. For sure. So Brandon, I'm just going to ask a few more questions before we end this podcast. <laughs> I will try to keep the next <laughs> answers short. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. So. Um, I know there's so much uh, people that would love to live here in Japan and you've been here for four years. There are some people who's listening, listening out there that would love to come here in Japan and pursue a career in acting or voice acting or being a foreigner living in Japan. What advice you would give them? I'll give it in two words and then five words, two pieces of advice. One, 
learn Japanese. Mm. Two, wait for after COVID stops. (laughs) 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 That's forward. Mm. Uh, So take the time that we're currently waiting for the Japanese government to collectively unclench their sphincters and calm down long enough to realize that um, uh, the foreigners are not 90% of the problem. But Mm. uh, yeah, take the time you're waiting for the borders to reopen to learn as Mm. much Japanese as you can. Exactly. I was going to say that. Yeah. I was going to say that learn Japanese, learn as much Mm. as you can. Mm-hmm. make make a japanese friend do some language exchange do what you can mm-hmm. uh you know it's pretty easy to find there's so many agencies uh in japan and they're all non-exclusive and they all have email addresses so if you're really gung-ho about coming over and working in japan just start emailing some of those agencies and build up that connection now just let them know that you're want to come let them know you're interested and let them know that as soon as you can get in you want to start working because some of them will actually sponsor visas. Um, so especially if you're extra marketable, if you're blonde, you're marketable. That's definitely one. It's it's not a good time right now, but hopefully when they when they open up, people can get in and we can get some new blood. <laughs> Great advice, uh, Brendan. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> no problem. Last question, which is a fun question. I, I'm not sure if, because you've been to my events, but I'm not sure if you saw me DJing, and that's one of my passions. I love playing music. And if you happen to have an opportunity to make a request, a song, while I'm DJing, what song it will be and why? My musical tastes don't really go past, like, the year 2000. So. <laughs> I'm with you. Don't worry. <laughs> I have two. I'll give you one that you probably wouldn't play and one that you might play. Um, <laughs> okay. I would say my first request would be Hall and Oates, You Make My Dreams Come True. Mm, 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 mm. Which I think is a great song to dance to. It is. That's yeah. probably if you're like song. a middle-aged white guy. Um, <laughs> you, If you could drop a beat on that, I think you could make that work pretty easily. <laughs> And my my other request would probably be September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. I love that one, too. Mm, September. Pretty much anything in the Earth, Wind, and Fire discography is great, but that's probably my favorite Earth, Wind, and Fire song. It's it's incredible. I I can't hear either of those songs and Uh be sad. I cannot do it. Those are my (laughs) Cheer Myself Up songs. So true. I I just want to share this because uh, I will never forget the September song because... It was probably more than more than fifteen years ago when Earth Wind and Fire. They had the concert in Japan. They they made an audition to do a a dan like they, they're looking for dancers like backup da- dancers, <laughs> and I auditioned for that. and And the music was September, and I was I was dancing to that, and I didn't I didn't get the job, but it was one of those unforgettable uh, unforgettable song that I think for me. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great story. Did you get to like meet any of the band members or did, was it just like in a back room somewhere? It was like, uh, show us your best dance. And- <laughs> no, I did. I wasn't able. I think I went to, I went to the concert, but I, I never, I wasn't able to meet them. I've never seen them in concert. My mother has, and she's, I've heard very good things. Mm, uh, mm, mm. They're really good. I, that would be a concert that if it ever came, 
if it ever came anywhere near me, I would I would be on that in a second. Right. <laughs> so okay, now I know. Next time I play a DJ and you're there, I'm gonna play that music. <laughs> oh please, and no, I I haven't seen you DJ. I've seen hosting and and events and and modeling and doing some runway stuff. I've seen, uh, but I've never actually seen you get behind the the turntables. Next time, Which, for sure. To my discredit, I sh- I should. <laughs> And it's there's not a lot of events going on. I know. Yeah. It's been a couple of years since events were really popular. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Brendan, this has been so much fun and very educational, I I would say. I hope so. Thank of course. Thank you for sharing us your knowledge and all your your fascinating stories. I would also like to say thank you for from the bottom of my heart. For all your hard work and patience during our acting classes, because you have given me so much confidence <laughs> now and seeing myself how I improve from day one when I joined your class, I am just so grateful for you. So keep sharing your wisdoms to everyone and educate everyone. You are most welcome, Miss uh, Miss Rossdale. If anyone from our listeners interested to contact you or do some private sessions or trainings, where should they reach you? I would say you just go to the website. I think mm-hmm. I think you can message me through the website. You should be able to. It's a Wix website. So uh, there's mm-hmm. there's a contact form in there. Um, I always get people asking me like how I get my confidence. I always tell them about because of my acting class from my sensei who told me so much about like having that confidence. And I'm wondering if you if, if someone asks you to do like an online thing. Or, you know, because we're still in pandemic and probably, you know, it's not easy to do in person. Would you consider doing that as well? Oh, sure. Uh, I'm I'm happy to help in whatever way I can. There were some people who asked me, and I, I would definitely love to introduce you um, for them. So, again, to all the listeners, I highly recommend Brandon Sensei to everyone. If you are working on your confidence or being... Or being an actor, a voice actor, I think his knowledge are the best. So again, thank you so much, Brendan. You're welcome. And now cut to me for the outro. (laughs) Exactly. tuning in if you reach up until this last minute of the show i am extremely grateful for you for tuning in the whole entire episode if you enjoyed our episode today please share it to your friends you can copy and paste the link wherever you are listening to right now text your friend share on your instagram stories or your facebook page tag me on your social media when you post it i'd love to hear from you Share your thoughts on the interview with the holiday. And if it's your first time here once again, please do me a favor to subscribe on the podcast. Leave us a review. In every review, it makes me so happy. So I'm looking forward to your ratings and review on our podcast. You can impact someone's life right now by just sharing our episode today. I hope you enjoyed this episode today as much as I do. And I hope you know how much you matter. How much I appreciate your time for listening how much I love you and appreciate you. I am truly grateful for your kindness and your support. 
And as I always say, sprinkle kindness wherever you go. I love you and stay safe and healthy. Join us again next Tuesday for the Breakfast with Tiffany show with Tiffany Rossdale.